The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Welcome to the Brandon Peters Show and our series we call The Summer of 82 at 40. A week by weekend look at movies released during the summer of that year. As always, along for the journey from Forbes, it's Scotty Mendelson. Greetings. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, it's going to be a great time talking about the weekend of July 16th through 18th. Uh, where we we've got movies again, Scott. We'd had some weeks of uh, one, one, a re-release, a re-release that gets re-released this week. But we did it last week, which is Raiders of the Lost Ark. So if you just tuned into this one, you're like, but they re-released an Indiana Jones adventure. Well, we did talk about it the previous episode, getting ahead or whatnot. So it's a reading. Yes, you should start at the beginning of this journey, travel through it with us, watch all these movies, because we are, or not. If we There's must some suffer, you must suffer as well. We might be suffering for you for some of those. That's yeah. part of it, part of it. <laughs> uh, but thanks for tuning in. This has been a fun series. I'm, we're, we're getting half, we're almost close we're to the halfway half. point of July. Well, we're over half, but uh, yeah, July, we're, we're... Almost Act 3. Almost, yeah, we're almost to the final month here, getting here, but... Uh, but we'll get to that later. Uh, let's head on over to the news of the moment. It's the news of the moment. ABC Sports presents the 1982 All-Star Game. You'll see the best brightest as the American League takes on the National League at Olympic Stadium in Montreal. On this-, uh, this week, on July 12th, Britain announces it is returning 593 Argentine POWs. Good on you, Britain. Good on you. July 13th, the 53rd All-Star Baseball Game. The National League wins 4-1 to at Olympic Stadium in Montreal. The MVP of the All-Star Game was Dave Conception from the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, a little more tragic, uh, July 13th, a train crash at Altair, Belgium. Five people were killed. Also on July 13th, Iran launches its first attack into Iraq. Here we are. July 15th, uh, the body of Wendy Caulfield uh, is found near Seattle. Who's that? She's the first victim of the Green River Killer. Oh, my. That story. Yeah, that happened uh, during this week. Oh, all sorts of fun stuff happening in this summer. Um, July 16th, George P. Schultz is sworn in as the 60th U.S. (laughs) Secretary of State. Uh, and in NASA news, uh, that launches the Landsat 4 to the thematic map 
the or to them uh to thematic map the earth now i want to i gotta update uh the the nasa section of this we've been talking about the the challenger uh prepping stuff that disaster does not happen until 1986 so it will not happen during the summer of 82 f40 so it's all prep for for that i believe we'd hinted to that before but i just like people to know that we know it's coming in 1986 and not 1982 uh no notable deaths this week uh but we have a birthday uh the birth of uh priyanka chopra who you may know i think she married a jonas brother that possible i think that yeah maybe anyway that's the news of the moment this week that's what's going on in the world in 1982, this July. <laughs> Our, uh, let's let's go from that to what's going on in uh, the Greek islands <laughs> this week in 1982. This summer, for the perfect vacation without parents. If you wanted a romance, you came to the right place. Without pressure. I can't tell you how this place turns me on. And without wearing much more than a bikini. You're a little overdressed. We'll take your top down. Take a few very close friends to see... You're very affectionate. Summer Lovers. It's one summer you'll never forget. From Filmways Pictures. Rated R. Now playing at 49er Sunrise and Skyview Drive-In. Our first film is Summer Lovers, uh, directed by Randall Kleiser, the director of Grease. And this is... Uh, he also directed Grandview, USA, Fly the Navigator, Big Top Peewee, and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. This is his follow-up to the Blue Lagoon, the guy who made the Blue Lagoon. So he wrote and directed this. He wrote and directed the Blue Lagoon. This is his follow-up movie to that. We remember we had Paradise at the beginning of this. Now the guy's like, get off my lawn. I'm going to show you where I go uh, um, with this movie. It stars Peter Gallagher, Daryl Hannah, Valerie uh, Quenison, is that how you say it? Uh, Barbara Rush, and Carol Cook. It's about a young American couple and a French woman who engaged in a threesome in the Greek islands. So we got a couple of returned Summer of 82 visitors. Quenison, she was the princess in Conan. And uh, this is the last film before her death in 1989. She died in a car crash. So uh, there's that. Uh, Daryl Hannah was in Blade Runner, of course. Um, this is a big year for her because she would also have a failed TV pilot called Paper Dolls in the same year. The original lead in this film was not Peter Gallagher. It was Dennis Quaid. Gallagher oh. Gallagher was his replacement. Uh, and they also, for the role of Lena, were trying to get, of course, Natasha Kinski. Because <laughs> she was a... I, you know, she, she's got movies, but like you'd think she'd been in a lot more with how much her name comes up during this era. And the 90s, too. Like, in the 70s. Like, she was a... Natasha Kinski, like I guess she was just the poster child for exotic beauty back in yes. the back. She in the was day. she was a, a pinup. Yes, and of course, Scott and I have talked. America loves it. Some young people fucking. So that's <laughs> what we're back with this week. So Scott, well, your thoughts on summer well, lovers happen so fast. So I, I got nothing. <laughs> no, it's. A fascinating picture in that, you know, like a lot of these films, we're looking through this, the prism of A, you know, are they good movies? But mm-hmm. also, wow, this is a movie that 
you wouldn't probably see today. Oh, I think you would. I, at a certain mainstream level. Okay, man, this would be this revelatory film yes, nowadays. It would like, be an like, house picture. Mm-hmm. It would not be a mainstream, right? You know, right. from the guy that made Grease, <laughs> um, and will eventually make Big Top Kiwi. And what? Holly, I blew the kid. That's yeah. an interesting filmography. He got less horny as he went along. Yeah, he did. Although Big Top Pee Wee certainly. Uh, yeah, there's some. Yeah, mm-hmm. Pee Wee's got a hard choice to make. Let me just put it that way. Um, Burton's no. not coming back. Who do we get? The guy did <laughs> Blue Lagoon and Grease. So anyway. Score. No, it's it's an interesting picture. It's pretty much face value. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't. And obviously, I think. Then now and even then, it's refreshingly not judgmental about its unconventional romance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's the kind of thing that, in a skewed way, it's almost—I don't want to say boring about it because that's not quite fair—but it's very just sort of like you either go with this or you don't. Yeah, and I think in a, in a fun way, you know, the more entertaining scenes of the film are the ones where Dara Hannah and Valerie Quinson sort of bond. Mm-hmm. Over their you know mutual boyfriend basically, and then become friends themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the way Daryl Hannah's character reacts to this whole thing is first she's a bit upset, and then she's like, "Yeah, well, let me see what he sees in her." <laughs> and I'm like, eh, I guess I'll give this a shot. Kind of what kind of way she goes, and she's like, she actually it 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 flaunts his like hypocrisy and stuff in his face because she's like, "Oh, I thought you were interested in this woman. You don't know shit about her." Like. I actually have gotten to know this woman, like, because um, he's yeah. trying to be like, oh, well, she's just so interesting and all this is like, nah, you're lusting after her. Yeah. And I watching these films just as a whole, it's always fun to see actors that I sort of know as sort of distinguished character actors when they were young enough to be young heartthrobs. Right. You know, not to give too much away, but there's another movie we're going to be talking about later today where someone that I know is sort of an elder statesman comedian, but he is the male lead in this film and, and you know, the romantic lead as well, mm-hmm. uh, justifiably so. Um, but yeah, this film did not get great reviews, but it wasn't like it was slut shamed or anything. It just, again, you know, it, it, it's as just sort of the movie of the week, it's fine. It's yeah. well staged. It's well acted. Again, it's refreshingly not judgmental. But I think once you get past the wow, it's so progressiveness of it, it's sort of just, you know, it's very matter of fact, mm-hmm. for better or worse. I would say it's worth seeing as a curiosity if you're so inclined. Uh, I know you had to kill several people to get a copy, so I don't know how hard it is to track down legally. It was more, uh, <laughs> it was more a case that I, I didn't want to. It was quite an expensive uh, physical media purchase ah. that wasn't available digitally. So I, I kind of you can cut that part out if you right. want. Yeah, it's fine. But no, I it's it's the thing again. The thing that stood out to me is that it's very matter of fact. Mm-hmm. In that it it I mean, right? The poster doesn't really hide what it's about. Right. You know, I do. You know, again, it's sort of like you know, you're right. This would absolutely be an art house picture, um, directed by the you know the guy. And I, the guy that made the Suspiria remake. What's his name? Uh, the, you know, call me by your name. Yeah, uh, that's what I say. This I is am the, love. This, this would be uh, the, the Luca Guadagnino. I'm going to get canceled for that one. Um, yes, him. <laughs> well, my, yeah, that's what I was. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say this would be like if Call Me by Your Name came out and everybody's like, oh, okay, 
Yeah. <laughs> Instead, it's um, like, it's a big deal. Boys kiss, and we know who the actors are. A bigger like, splash. That's what it kind of reminded me of a little yeah. bit. In yeah. terms of, you know, young hot people, or in this case, slightly older hot people, you know, mingling in paradise. It's got it's got a location that's easy to f- on the eyes when you film it. Like, it, it, like, like you know, like the 70s and 80s, Italy looks really... Yes. Really beautiful when you see it. Like this Greek islands really lends itself. The only time where it gets that kind of weird, like, oh, is when the, the moms come to visit and they're like, what's yeah. going on here? But um, even that is handled with a certain. It's quick and it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's almost refreshing that this unconventional romance doesn't end in violence. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, right, right. You're right. No, it, it plays it straightforward. It doesn't. It try it doesn't try to make any bold strokes with it. It just yeah. kind of is like this this is how it happened. It was how it would happen or something like that. Um and, and yeah. to my surprise, it ends with the film affirming that relationship. Yeah. It doesn't re- it doesn't end by saying, Okay, well this was fun for the summer, but now we need to go back to the status quo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too. Like Daryl Hannah, she was like an it girl at the time, mm-hmm. but she was not afraid to get naked and getting naked in a movies was Kind of risk riskier back then. Uh, uh, yes and no. I mean, we didn't have YouTube, <laughs> right? I guess if you got naked in a horror film, it was bad. Yeah. But if you got naked in something like this, probably okay. Um, but yeah, she was she was quite like like I said, we had she's in she's got three projects this year: two summer movies and then a a TV pilot. Um, but this is yeah, kind of where where she was at. Um, and I just remember like she. She has a pretty lasting career as like some like a go to pretty blonde girl and tall. That yeah, you know it's it's unfortunate she was one of those actresses, and there's lots of them that were mostly famous for being hot, mm-hmm. which obviously limited their potential right. both in terms of when they were leading woman material and when they aged out of that. Yeah, true, true. Um, yeah, it's a uh, this this movie though. The thing is like it's more. It was very known. For uh, I don't think people would know it for the soundtrack, but they would know the songs that came off the oh, soundtrack yeah. because um, this is actually where we get for the first time, Pointer Sisters. I'm so excited. Depeche Mode's got just can't get enough on here. Prince has a couple songs, but Chicago's hard to say. I'm sorry um, is the big one from this, and they credit the band Chicago credits this movie with helping this get to number one on the charts. This so is a banger soundtrack as far yeah. as 80s movie soundtracks. Yeah, I, I was watching this. I'm like, wow, we don't talk about nobody talks about this movie, but this soundtrack, and it, it's not like these songs were because this was like this isn't we have a we have a movie coming later in the summer. Uh, it's a teen movie that the studio wanted to make sure they had a hit, so they went out and paid out the ass for the soundtrack. They were buying already hit songs to throw in the movie. This is the case where a lot of times back in the day, before soundtracks started booming, you just got B-sides and whatever thrown your way by popular artists. And maybe you'd throw one on the radio, but nothing was meant to be a huge hit or whatever, but this one got some hits out of it. Like, there's some big stuff. Um, Towards the middle of the decade, you start getting your flash dance, you start getting your Oh wow, we can we can sell albums as well as you know Flashdance helps. Was Flashdance the first to really be almost as well known for its soundtrack as for the movie? 
Yeah, it's one of them. It's one of them that started pushing like, "Hey, we can let's let's make let's actually try to focus on making songs for movies good." And then you get kind of back to this weird. Um, so you start getting movies like, but the soundtrack songs were meant for that movie. They, yes. they the people wrote them like they saw the movie, they got inspired by something and wrote a song for it. Some B sides to get thrown in to fill out the tracks, but most of the ones that would be like the single or something had something to do with the movie. Then you get about mid to late nineties, and they just are like, let's just try to get a hit on there. Like music inspired by the motion picture. Right, right. I, I think like one of the last movies you get something that means some of the movies like Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. And then, I mean, Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith could have put on, been put on like eight other movies. Like, yeah, it works. So, Hero from Spider-Man feels like the last, even though it probably isn't, mm. at least in my to my recollection. Right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so, it's, it's not, not to like say they went away, but song with you know, Pirates of the Caribbean or The Matrix Reloaded or whatever. Right, right, right. Matrix was a bunch of remixes is what yeah. they did with things. But yeah, so this this was a pretty sweet thing. And yeah, Chicago Chicago remembers this movie, but I don't know about anybody else. But yeah, it's, it's just really, yeah, Tina Turner's on here. You get, yeah, it, it's a it's a banging soundtrack. And the movie, I I don't know. I, it was weird. Like, it's it's so nonchalant, um, but it's interesting to see this played nonchalant back then. Just like, oh, this is a thing. It wasn't like played taboo. It wasn't played like you know they yeah. the the moment where they all sleep together is a big moment, but that's because it's a big moment for the characters, not because it's like look what we got on film. <laughs> you know, it's played it's played big to their personalities, and that's that's interesting. But today, this would be all played up like that, like yes. look at this bold thing. Like we were making movies like this back then, and not like having to be like look attention, attention. It was just casual, and that's it how was. people. That's how people can progress too without throwing it like, you know, you need to change. I don't need to change. Like stuff like that. If you threw, and we were doing good in the, like decent in the 90s with just regular diverse cinema. And then somewhere, you know, you had to change, like just sell your movie. People come to it. But, and then people come to it because now, because maybe they feel sometimes feel guilty. Like it's weird. It's backwards. <laughs> it's like, it feels kind of backwards. Like we were just go, we were going to movies. We had no problem, you know. I don't know. Maybe I because I'm someone. Maybe I don't see it as much because I was someone who just goes to the movies, like whatever. It looked funny. I don't care who you know those. People no, it's whatever, it's but. when movies were cheaper and more varied, and mm-hmm. you know each film wasn't life and death for the studio. Yeah, they could just be. They could just exist. Yeah, you know, and as a result, you had a lot of, you know, what we consider today would be you know, progressive politics, sort of in a nonchalant way. Right. And I know, I know, I talk about this a lot because it annoys me, frankly. But you know, you you know you you we wish that we had blockbusters that were at least as aware of the political reality as I don't know, Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh, right? Yeah. <laughs> or Wild 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 West is always the one that I point to, mm-hmm. which you know it's not a good movie, but. It is very upfront about, you know, racism is bad. Racists use their racism to justify, you know, violence against everyone. Mm-hmm. And that shouldn't be a shocking, controversial statement. But, you know, now we have this weird trend for the last, you know, 10 years or so where every bad guy has a sympathetic moment that they want to do a good thing, you know, a bad thing for the right reason and blah, 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 blah. Exactly. And I get and I get that from a screenwriting point of view. You know, you want nuanced, complex characters, but you know, I I wonder, is our movie going audience smart enough to comprehend that in the correct way? 
Yeah. You know, I'm old enough to remember when movies like Naked Gun Two and a Half presented the rich, diabolical Republican business tycoons that wanted to destroy the environment as evil because they wanted to destroy the environment, mm-hmm. as opposed to movies where the bad guys want to destroy the world to save the environment. Yeah. Well, that's my thing. Like the idea that it's always bugged me. Like when people give oh about bad guys being bad. Like, like they get mad. Like because like the bad guy. I hate to use the word, but like the bad guys aren't woke. I'm like they're bad guys. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't need to sympathize with them. I don't need to. I don't need it. You know. I don't need them to be like that like i they kill because they like kill people and killing's bad no matter who they're killing i I will say this that kenneth brana seems to have a market quartered on playing bad guys that are just dicks yeah you know wild west wild wild west jack ryan shadow recruit tenet uh probably a couple other i'm forgetting here and there but i you know whatever my issues with those movies are respectively i do respect that his villains are just douchebags Mm mm-hmm (laughs) that <laughs> they're evil just because they're you know right entitled like often racist just diabolical dickheads yeah and speaking there's no... of diabolical dickheads our next movie is six pack uh, but, oh absolutely <laughs> he's already the country's leading recording artist that's real good but he's still fat and a national treasure Oh, you always had an interesting way of saying hello. Now, 20th Century Fox proudly presents Kenny Rogers in his first major motion picture, Six Pack. You race car driver, mister? Uh, used to be. Might have been again if I hadn't run into you guys. He's Brewster Baker, a dirt track demon whose racing career was going in reverse until he ran into six pint-sized grease monkeys. Hey, turn it over! Hey, bro, what do you pay your crew with? All day, sucker? <laughs> Kiss off, mister. They're determined to help him. All clear? In their own special way. What did you do to the car, Indian? Count okay. Ten, nine, eight. <laughs> One! Out. Everybody out. We was only trying to help. Hey, stealing is stealing, pal, and I don't want any part of it, okay? Yellow belly, gut, and slut. Help us up the same mouth you eat out of. You no good, rotten, slut, dumb, sport, dumb, black-hearted, double-dumb, mom! What did that kid do to this thing? Oh, no. Look who's back. Paul Barker and her boys. We got no choice but to stick with you till a better thing turns up. Gentlemen, start your engines. I'm taking my charges to Atlanta. Cut hundred? Uh, most unusual story in years. It's a grand national race. Brewster Baker, who's been off the circuit, has been burning up the smaller tracks for the last four months with the help of a pet crew of kids. What are we gonna do for a car? I don't know, maybe we could steal one. I can't believe it. <laughs> Kenny Rogers in Six Pack. They're gonna steal your heart. Directed by Daniel Petrie. Uh, lots. He did lots of TV, uh, TV movies. Uh, he did Cocoon: The Return, 
and 1994's Lassie. It's written by Mike Marvin, who is the director of The Wraith and the writer of Hot Dog, the movie. Uh, Also, Alex Matter did some of the script. It stars... Kenny Rogers, Diane Lane, Aaron Gray, Barry Corbin, Terry Kaiser, Anthony Michael Hall, and Bob Hanna. It's about a race car driver who is driving, that's what race car drivers do, to a race in a motorhome with his race car on a trailer. His car gets stripped for parts, and he ends up with six orphan kids on his way to the race. Wah, wah. Kenny Rogers, dropping <laughs> in this summer. A completely forgettable but entirely harmless picture. Yeah, yeah. Um, it has you know Diane Lane as a in a very early role. Was it her first role? As I click it's, on it's, Wikipedia, it's, it's quick. It, like there's only like one or two. Maybe might be her first theatrical release. Yeah. Um, but and it's got. Was she who was she in this? By the way, because I didn't even notice. Was she the female leader? She one of the kids. Diane Lane. Yeah. Yeah, she was one of the kids. She was the one okay, she, the was old, the dog. she was the older kid and the one that Terry Kaiser was like, hey, when she dressed up, they were Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's another thing that stuck out to me. It's like, wow, that would have gotten tagged by the problematic police in 2022. Uh-huh. Um That's why that scene is like, ooh, I don't know about But this. you know, again, in the movie, it's fine. Right. It's, it's it makes sense from a character point of view. And it's it's basically the movie is, you know, with with it's basically the boxcar children starring Kenny Rogers. It is. Oh my gosh. Um, and you know, it it's, it's my wife has always been very fond of that series. I, I have no strong opinions, but it's like, you know, I let me put it this way I like the end of the first book because they're not homeless anymore. Yeah, I, re- like, I read why those. are there sequels? I don't want them to keep being homeless. That's terrible. Uh, Diane Lane made her debut in A Little Romance in 1979, so this is her third year in the biz. Fair enough. And obviously, I'm, I'm noting my ignorance that I did not recognize her as the young teenage would-be uh, mother figure. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's 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 not particularly good. No. But it is a straight-line drive for exactly what you expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Kenny Rogers is an agreeable screen presence. Mm-hmm. The film does its job in terms of establishing his sympathetic relationship with these kids. Um, you do have a rooting inference interest in them both, quote unquote, winning. Um, it's nothing that you haven't seen a hundred thousand times before and since. You know, most recently offhand, I think uh, John Cena's playing with fire, which is about a a small a fireman and his you know a couple of other fire dudes that end up looking after some lost kids during a forest fire. Uh, I mean, it's harmless, but it's fun, by the way. Yeah. If you want something you can watch with your kids that's actually intended for kids as opposed to nostalgic adults, that's as good as any. Yeah. I, I think they're like, I was hoping some of the racing would look good or something, but. Nah. Mm-hmm. No, this ain't cars. Yeah. This might have a slightly similar ending. From the director of Cocoon. Colin, the return, not the original. Yes, yes. Um, did you say he directed The Wraith, or did I miss it? No, the you? writer of this movie directed oh! The Wraith. Oh! Because that caught my attention. Because that's the movie that basically invented a subgenre. Yeah, you know that was you know the Crow and RoboCop before those films existed. Exactly. Yeah, very much so. Um, but anyway, um, but no, I mean it's it's if I were sitting there in a theater paying religious attention to this picture, yeah, I might have found it a little bit, you know, slow and indifferent or whatever. But I watched it casually while I was you know 
taking care of some adulting business, you know, watching it on a you know, big screen while I was sitting on my laptop doing other stuff. And it was an agreeably pleasant, enjoyable picture. Yeah. And beyond that, I don't have much to say about it. This feels like a movie primed to be on your like local affiliates movie package for like a Saturday afternoon. Yes. Like, this Saturday, we got Kenny Rogers and Aaron Gray in six pack. Like, oh yeah. It's, it's in a time before there were, there weren't so many tentpole franchise films that, you know, TNT and whatever could just run Marvel and Transformers and Harry Potter and Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings movies nonstop, which I think is sort of an underspoken problem with the discourse these days. Is, right. You know, there's always one on, so you don't even have to. It's our turn for the marathon. Yeah. Um, I think this is the kind of film that would, you know, you'd watch on a lazy Sunday afternoon mm-hmm. on, you know, your local syndicate network, tele- you know, Channel 43 or whatever they call it. And, wherever um it's a movie that they might have made being like okay we might not make a couple bucks at the theater but like the syndication for kenny rogers is gonna go through the roof and uh it's certainly nothing that you have to trim much for television if at all no no other than the runtime although i don't think it's particularly long it's about 100 minutes or so yeah about 108 minutes so you either cut it to 90 or you let it run in a two and a half hour slot so yeah i mean it's, it's it's the race footage is fine, partially because the end of it involves actual race footage from the 1982 NASCAR Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny when I'm watching it, you know, I have to sort of remind myself that it's not Jeff Bridges or Chris Christopherson that I'm watching. It's Kenny Rogers. Yeah. Because it's such a, what I consider the kind of role that they would play. Oh, or even, you know, Jeff Bridges or someone like that. You know, it is that kind of character role. Right. So, yeah. I guess if you know, in twenty years, if Bradley Cooper wants to do a random remake of something, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't think people realize like Kenny Rogers, like he was huge. Um, yeah. he's kind of like a larger than life. Like everybody knew he would. People loved the shit out of the guy. Like this movie doesn't do well. Just a little spoiler to uh, the box office, but like. This probably was a surefire thing. Like we have Kenny Rogers. Oh, sh- green it, green light. You know, like he's agreed. But, um, yeah, that's kind of a, a huge ordeal that I don't think people re- remember or realize how how big the guy. There was Kenny and Dolly. Like they were, there are the huge country stars become. <laughs> and Chris Chris Christopherson as well. Like he was. Oh gigantic, God, yes, gigantic too. Um. But yeah, um, and and we have Aaron Gray here who is right off of Buck Rogers being canceled. Oh. Um, so like because it got canceled, it, I finished it airing in '81, and um, this is like yeah, a, a movie jump off for her. Um, uh, and things that I did not know, there actually are still Kenny Rogers chicken places in Asia. I ate at one. Uh, one time because I had to because of all that Seinfeld episode and we were vacationing <laughs> we were vacationing somewhere and there was one across the street and we're like well we have to uh, I don't remember I, I, I think I've had one over the years at least because I mean it's whatever it's fine it was it's similar to Boston Market I think is what yeah. it was pretty much yeah yeah um and yeah his big thing I mean other than the music obviously was you know he had a, he had a character called the Gambler that was in a series mm-hmm. of TV movies right. Um, and you have TV sort of, specials too, like yeah, that was the thing that they don't do anymore. But 
And again, you know, it, this wasn't a huge hit, but it wasn't, you know, nobody got murdered over it. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a situation where people would show up to see Kenny Rogers in a movie role playing somebody that's not Kenny Rogers. Right. But certainly isn't what I would consider against typecasting. It's not like he's a diabolical, you know, hitman or anything. No, no, no. Nope, it's a, it's harmless. It's good for his brand. Uh, you yeah. know, like just solid little family movie. And yeah, um, I feel like if you were like someone's like, if you were like a church or something, they'd probably have six pack on VHS sitting there. This is the one of his only two movies that he ever made. Oh, I what? mean, in theaters. Holy shit. Oh, wow. That, that was long a- shot in 2001. Oh, geez. Because I mean, he did a lot of TV work. Tons guess, of TV okay. work. I thought I, I did not realize bigger, that. I thought he was a much bigger cinematic presence than that. No, but. so did I. Well, this is your one shot to see him in a movie then. Yeah, Never wow. mind. It's absolutely worth seeing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because <laughs> The Gambler was all TV movies. Yeah, like, those yeah. were all TV movies. He did uh, about a handful of those, give or take. Hmm. Like four, five. Yeah. He did five from 1983 to 1994. Okay. Um, and other than that, it was just guest starring roles on this or that. Because again, he was a, he was a celebrity. You know, obviously, he was a huge music star, and that's where you know he made his fortune. But he usually he was generally sort of stunt casting in television. Thursday on Magnum, will a young girl and a sunken ship trap Magnum in a watery grave, or lead him to a mysterious treasure? Next, Simon and Simon head south of the border and right into big trouble as they search for our missing girl. Aren't they cute? Then, on Knott's Landing... Your specialty is wrecking homes. Will Abby destroy Val and Gary's marriage? Are you and my husband having an affair? I can have them anytime I want them. Action and drama, Thursday. All right, yeah, well, speaking of knowing when to fold them, uh, we'll go on to the TV ratings for this week, uh, the top ten... Television shows as per the Nielsen ratings for this week in 1982. Uh, number one was that all-star baseball game I talked about. ABC got to air it. Uh, number two, Jefferson's on CBS. Three is 60 Minutes on CBS. Four is Trapper John MD on CBS. Five is House Calls on CBS. Six is MASH on CBS. Seven is Alice on CBS. Eight is Lou Grant on CBS. Number nine is Magnum P.I. on CBS. And number 10 is Hill Street Blues on NBC. So there you go. CBS had eight of the top 10 programs. It didn't have number one. It didn't have number 10, but everything in between. That's insane. Um, <laughs> overall, I went ahead. Overall, I had 14 of the top 20 shows for this week. My God. That's insane. Like, I. Wow. Um. That's incredible. Like I, I, I can't even think the dominance of CBS that it has been for the last couple. Like even did that, but I'm sure there's weeks when I mean when you put it to a microscope like we have been week to week. I'm sure it shows up like that. But that's just crazy. Lou Grant showing up. That's the first time that's popped in the top ten. Uh, Alice has been there before, but she doesn't live here anymore. But they have MASH, so they're always going to have a chance in 60 minutes. Those are surefire things. Um, But yeah, um, that is definitely, that is is what the TV was. It was all about the all-star game in the summer, which, as we said, the National League won that game. Ghosts, little spirits or pixies, I don't believe them. 
All that ghost talk makes me nervous. <laughs> A Midsummer Night Sex Comedy. I believe in science and sex and sex. Can there be love without sex? Sex alleviates tension and love causes it. Nothing is real but experience. It's all in the pectoral muscles. You should try it. That which can be touched. Oh. Felt. Oh. oh. Would you two prefer to be alone? Or in some scientific fashion prove that you were and had been sleeping with everyone. Not everyone. Uh -huh. Well, maybe it was everyone. Yeah. A Midsummer Night Sex Comedy. It's a little bit depraved. How can it be disgusting? I don't have my clothes off yet. The moment I smelled her, I loved her. Yeah, well, smell someone else because you know, she's taken. To Leopold and Ariel, tomorrow they will be man and wife forsaking all others till death do them part. Ah! Maxwell! Andrew! Leopold! Ah! Don't shoot! You're a man of reason. You're a pacifist. You're an animal. A Midsummer Night Sex Company. What a night. I'll say. Okay. Uh, we're moving on to our, our next, our third movie of four uh, this week. It is a Midsummer Night's sex comedy, which is directed by Woody Allen, written by Woody Allen, starring Woody Allen, Mia Farrow, Jose Ferrer, Julie Haggerty, Tony Roberts, and Mary Steenburgen. It's about a wacky inventor and his wife. Who invite two other couples for a weekend party at a romantic summer house in the 1900s countryside. Folks, this is the film where Woody and Mia met. Oh, uh, Diane, or, uh, Diane Keaton was busy. Uh, th this, yeah, um, kind, <laughs> kind of that. Um, this is, uh, I mean, also you got, uh, this is Mary Steenburgen on her rise and this is, um, uh, Julie Haggerty's follow-up to Airplane. So oh, first yeah. movie after that. So he uh, nabbed her after that, but... Um, um, yeah, because yeah, Diane Keating was promoting Reds. Yeah. Which she had made with Warren Beatty in 1981. Yep. So he brings up uh, Mia Farrow and the rest is history. Which if you... If, if looking at... 13 Woody movies and, they made together. Holy crap. Yeah. Looking at Woody, Mia, Woody and Mia on film... It's almost like a baton was passed from Keaton to Pharaoh because they have that same kind of chemistry and the same kind of uh, back and forth that works so well with Keaton. I think Keaton and Alan are better. Um, I think that's one of the best comedy team-ups of all time um, that doesn't never gets brought up uh, when you're talking about like Laurel and Hardy and all that. I'm like, Keaton and <laughs> Alan have something very special. Yes. Uh, and it didn't get... There was more in the seventies, but it never got to a point where there was just like, oh, can we stop it? But um, yeah, so this one is Woody Allen. He's coming off. This is an interesting spot here because he's coming off of Stardust Memories, which at the time was not well. I think it's one of his best. I think Stardust Memories might be my second favorite Woody Allen film because I think it's just brilliant. Even though he says it's not about him, it's fucking about him. Um, <laughs> like it's his, it's his eight and a half. Um, yeah. And it's brilliant, and it's got like some of his best filmmaking, some of his best performance, and he got he was raked through the coals for it because critics were mad because he thought they were coming after him, or they were he was coming after them, yeah. And all this, and the joke in that movie is that everybody like likes his stuff, but like I like the old funny stuff better because he was 
you know, he was turning. So this is smack dab in Woody Allen's serious face. Right. So where he, he wants respect, damn it. Mm-hmm. And he bounced to this, another stupid. He was like, fine, you want one of, you want one of these? Here you go. Uh, but oh. he'd find a way to be funny in a different fashion with Zelig the following year. Um, but yeah, this was kind of his fine <laughs> kind of movie. <laughs> I'll give you your farce. Here's another bananas. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny, you know, the relation to Stardust Memories. For the record, I think Sam Levinson's Malcolm Maria is very funny. Mm-hmm. That's another situation where it's like, okay, just because the lead character is expressing dumb and or un- incorrect or unpopular things does not mean the movie is endorsing those opinions. Mm-hmm. Especially when you have a Zendaya basically calling him an idiot for 95 minutes. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've seen that one or not. It's on I- Netflix early last year. Right. I, I, did, I uh, wanted to watch that, and I, I didn't get to that one. No, it's, it's not appointment viewing, but it was another one where it's like right. the critical establishment thought he was like, took everything about that film very seriously. I remember the discourse, yeah. It's like, this movie's funny, and it's only funny if you're, you know, it's funnier if you are a critic and you're aware of what he's nipping on. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, some of it's aimed at us, but I think it's pretty good humored. But anyway, right. whatever. Um, this one is fine mm-hmm. it was never one of my favorite I mean, i'm not a woody allen expert for the record mm-hmm. uh but i was ne- this was never one of my favorites of his i think it's it's for one thing i mean this isn't even a criticism it feels like a stage play yeah you know, it's yeah, very much it, a slamming mm-hmm. doors farce it takes all place in a house basically too so it could uh, easily translate room house presents woody allen's a bit snow um and I think, you know, it, it's funny. This is one where it's like, if you're a kid first discovering Woody Allen, I don't know if kids do that now for obvious reasons, but it's like, oh, this one sounds salacious. Yeah. No, it's not. It's, it's just, just like, because he's got it's the... A, you know, it's, I don't know if it's PG. I mean, there is sexual content, but it's certainly not a, you know, it's not a particularly grotesque picture. No, it's probably, P- it's probably PG. Uh, but yeah. It's just like everything you always wanted to know about sex, but we're afraid yes. to ask. And you're like, oh, this is going to be a banger. So uh, no, it's fun, and it's fun to see these actors in the relative start of their careers, give or take. Mm-hmm. Especially, obviously, Judy Agatha and Mary Steinburgen. It is um, PG, um, yeah. yeah. And um, I think, absent its somewhat salacious title and its origins, as it, what is it, a remake of a Bergman film, I think, or something. Yeah. Um, Let's see, I should know this. But and yeah, I, I do think it's one of his just sort of it's there movies. Um in between, you know, you know, Annie Hall, Manhattan, Stardust Memories, which are just, you know, bangers. Yeah, loosely, and then loosely his, based and then on smiles of the summer's night. You know, his mid his mid eighties run of, you know, uh, crimes and misdemeanors and radio day mm-hmm. and Hannah and her sisters and what have you. Um, so this one's sort of just there. Um yeah, it's it's fine, and if it's one of yeah. your earliest it's Woody Allen films of, of three star sex farce with with funny people mm-hmm. in a single location, you know, constantly debating whether to screw each other. There's obviously entertainment value in that, right? Um, and there's some I, of the, like Woody tropes that if you like, they're yes. here. Like the him and uh, Tony Roberts have great rapport. If you liked what they were doing in Annie Hall, they pick up right here with it. So. Um. But you're right in the sense that I think it was sort of a screw you to, pe- to from him to people that wanted him to cut it out with the serious stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it's to his detriment because, you know, generally speaking, when you make a movie for spite, it doesn't work out well. Yeah. You know, there are some exceptions, but 
And I'm coming to mind off the top of my head. I'm yeah. sure there are some exceptions. I think a lot of this is like, he could do a movie like this in his sleep, yeah. uh, but so he decided to challenge himself by setting it in a period uh, yes. area. Like I, I think this is in the sleepwalking is kind of still there, but there is some stuff where he's challenging himself. But uh, there, there are some really, there's some uh, more clever cinematography than you'd expect or maybe notice on the first watch with this movie. Um, there was some stuff that I, I was like, I was like, damn, that's kind of a brilliant shot, or that's kind of a a nice staging stuff like that so he's challenging himself there but i don't think this is a movie he wants to real i think it's people he wants to work with and maybe this is a because the guy makes a movie a year uh (laughs) till now and like i think this is just kind of him like working things out trying to find something more challenging while trying to challenge himself with a like sleepwalk picture so yes um but it's fun. If you, Mary Steenburgen's fun. Like everybody's fun. Like the people you see in this movie go, I know that person. You're gonna like what they do here. Um, but and and Mia makes a, a solid debut here, uh, being the Diane Keaton uh, stand-in, basically. And you know, she works. Oh. I mean, she'll get better throughout the rest of the Woody movie. Like yes. I don't think she's bad here, but she'll find her own footing rather than just being a Diane Keaton substitute. So yeah, it, I, I think now it exists more as a historical touchstone slash time capsule than mm-hmm. one of you know a must see Woody Allen picture. Right, right. Um, but yeah, this is yeah, um, yeah. It's it is what it is. It's it's not one of his best, but he's here in the summer with a midsummer. <laughs> he's in the middle of the summer with a midsummer <laughs> night's sex comedy. So. Uh, but yeah, I, I I would check out the the one before this one and the one after it with more yes. highly recommends uh, than this this one in the middle. Um, but if you're looking, if you're like, if you're that person that just likes that early 70s stuff of his, th- th- here you go. <laughs> this is like one last hurrah at that, honestly. Yes. Because I don't, think, I don't right. think he makes another one like that. So um, No, there, I mean, I, I mean, small time crooks, maybe. Maybe. There are wells he digs back to, but going yeah. back to the 70s is when he does it. Because, like, faux documentaries is one, you know, like, infidelity dramas. Um, yeah. And, you know, um, true, you know, people, you know, who accidentally get away with a crime. Yeah. And, and the one before it, Stardust Memories, uh, that is a, yeah. a well he goes back to, like he just did with um, uh, Rifkin's Festival, which I called Senior yes. Dust Memories. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a well he'll go back to. Um but this one, this is yeah, that last. Maybe that's what what the significance of this one. This is his last time doing one of those love and death, uh, sleeper bananas type movies. So, American Top Forty. The numbers get smaller as the hits get bigger. Casey Kasem's Top Forty, the top ten this week. Uh, we have uh, number ten. We have a new one jumping in. Caught up in you by Thirty Eight Special. Uh, number nine, Only the Lonely by The Motels. Number eight, Tainted Love by Soft Cell. Uh, number seven, uh, Love's Been a Little Bit Hard on Me by Juice Newton. Number tw- uh, number six, uh, Hold Me by Fleetwood Mac jumps in here. Uh, number five, Let It Whip by The Daz Band. Number four, Eye of the Tiger, Survivor. And number three, John Cougar. Not quite earning the melon cap yet. Hurts so good. <laughs> number two, Rosanna by Toto. And number one, once again, it's third week, 
Don't You Want Me by The Human League. So, and if you notice, Ebony and Ivory dropped like a rock. It's gone. It is out of there. And that was dominating our charts for a bit. But it's gone now. So that's uh, that's that's the Casey Kasem Top 40 here. Um, holding kind of strong. A lot of same, same. A uh, couple new couple new ones. But we'll continue to monitor how that goes. For the next 12 months, you will learn to hate my guts. I may break some of you, but those of you who survive will be the best doctors in the state. It's the daily drama of life and death in a big city hospital. Don't tell anybody that Dr. Buck fixed your duck. ABC Motion Pictures and 20th Century Fox present Young Doctors in Love. A comedy with stripers, strippers, virgins, surgeons. If you plan to remove the appendix, you will have to break the skin. Punks, drunks, dancing, and romancing. You call that sex? Now let's try it again. Thrills, chills, pills, and spills. Now she's in somebody else's bed. Small guys. Back on your box. Fall guys. Famous faces. I don't like the way your husband looks. I don't either, but he's good to the children. Car chases. Oh, it's gonna be a car chase. Car's locked, no chase. Long shots. And short tempers. Okay! We'll need an anesthesiologist. Hope. And stethoscopes. Burns. Hemorrhoids. Automatic beds. And newlyweds. I'm married. Are you happily married? Guys who are sleazy. Show me where your mother lives. Yeah, right there. Come on, yeah. And girls who are easy. I looked in your mouth, checked your breasts, probed every part of your body. What's wrong with me? How should I know? I'm a lawyer. Young doctors in love. Get out of the way, you They fly. They cry. They slide. They collide. They're all here. But they're not all there. Shoulder! It's Young Doctors in Love. There is no cure. Now to our last feature, our main event here, Young Doctors in Love, directed by Gary Marshall, written by Michael Elias and Rich Eustace, starring Michael McKean, Sean Young, Kyle T. Hefner, Crystal Bernard, Rick Overton, Gary Friedkin, Ted McGinley, Saul Rubinek, Harry Dean Stanton, Pamela Reed, Dabney Coleman, Michael Richards, Taylor Negron, and Hector Elizondo with... Of course. With a cameo by Demi Moore. Or Demi Moore, right? That was uh, in there. <laughs> it is a spoof on hospital soap operas with a few gangsters thrown in. A new batch of interns begins at City Hospital. This is a feature film debut of Gary Marshall, who does Overboard, Beaches, Pretty Woman, Frankie and Johnny, Runaway Bride, Princess Diaries, Raising Helen. He came from being a TV writer from some of the most Golden Age classics, and this is his debut this is a fascinating time capsule yeah uh i'm not gonna say the movie's good very frankly i think it falls apart in the last 20 25 minutes or so mm-hmm. but i was riveted just 
again, part of it is, is, is seeing these people that I think of as sort of, you know, character actors and whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is, you know, seeing Taylor Negron as a young, handsome heartthrob is, is sort of almost shocking to me. Poor guy died seven years ago, but yeah. I digress. But he's also, he also has this thing that is still there in the 80s. Like, he was a, like, always played these sex obsessed guys. Yeah. And it was, it was here, <laughs> kind of. And he's, he's always got a certain edge to him. You know, yeah. he's, he's, but, and of course, it was, you know, meet seeing Michael McKean as a heartthrob. Right. I mean, he's always a handsome guy. That's not to say he's not, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, you know, obviously because of how old I am, I tend to associate him with, you know, the Christopher Guest, you know, comic farce stuff. And then, you know, his elder statesman TV roles over the years. He landed himself a Neto tool. So you got to be a handsome dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he wins. Um, and then, of course, you have Sean Young, who is on a roll mm-hmm. as, frankly, the dream girl in several well, this, films. This is her year after Stripe. So this is her. Yeah her projects that follow stripes. So, uh, and she follows us up with Dune mm-hmm. and baby, the secret of the lost legend under their Baltimore clock and no way out, which is ironically the movie that most people associate. I'm so excited with. Right. Right. Um, you were saying McKean, like at this point with McKean though, he is a regular on Laverne and Shir- Shirley. We are two years away from spinal tap. Like fair. It's crazy. Um, and it's funny. It took me a while to realize that this was like a wannabe airplane because while there's obviously but, yeah, yeah, and yes. comedy by today's standards, it's almost low key to the point where I just thought I was watching, you know, a sloppy rough draft of scrubs. Uh-huh. 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 Um, and yeah, obviously there are, are jokes here that don't make sense. If the movie is even trying to take place in the real world, there's a running gag about a, a, a mafia you know, a mob boss that they keep trying to murder. Yes. Um, you know, there's a character that, that disguises himself as a woman in order to, to end to it, to end to the mob, bo- to the, I think to the mob boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually ironically is handled with a certain amount of sensitivity. Yeah. Yeah. The, the judgment. Mm-hmm, yes. It's not played for laughs, at least in, in a conventional sense. Right. And, you know, there is, you know, there are a couple Looney Tunes type violent jokes in this, you know, I think a character gets blown up by a piece of dynamite that's stuck under his ass. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's sort of, you know, the, the last 20 minutes where the film turns, I would say, headlong into farce. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess by modern standards, some of the gender relations are a little problematic, blah, blah, blah. Right. But again, it's 1982. Yeah. Um, I do, you know, the film is sympathetic to union slash labor struggles in a way that was more conventional in a less politicized time. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the subplots involves the nurses going on strike, justifiably, probably. Right. Pamela Reed shows up in a very early role as 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 sort of an ugly duckling slash swan nurse character. Right. Yeah. Uh, I have no objection to that whatsoever. Um, by the way, if I may be salacious, Sean Young, you know, as a doctor wearing glasses, awesome. <laughs> you you yeah. can keep Blade Runner. I'll keep. I'll take Young Doctors in Love. There you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not a good movie, and I can understand why it did not get good reviews when it came out because it's it's. It, I think part of it is just I can't I can't decide how far toward the airplane shtick to bend this film. Yeah, it kind of wants to have its cake and eat it too, where well, it wants to be a very broad farce, almost a spoof of of General Hospital and you know other prime time medical shows, but it also wants to have a relative human drama that takes its story seriously. Well, the problem is when you're spoofing, 
you can't look like a movie when you're doing it. You'd have yeah. to look like shot on video television for soap operas at the time, or else, yes. or it's not. You're not getting it. And some of the the airplane stuff when it does show up feels kind of weird. Um, like they they go to the cemetery at one point, and there's a carry gag there where there's these yeah. hands sticking out of the grave, and it says carry. And I'm like, huh, that okay, <laughs> nice little gag there. But I'm like, they're littered throughout in a weird way that just. It doesn't feel with the flow of things how they're, they're uh, doing There's a it. very early E.T. joke in this picture. Um, they claim that they were the first movie to make a reference to E.T., mm. uh, which you know makes sense. The movie only you know it came out like a month after E.T., so that's pretty right. impressive. You can go back, reshoot something quickly, um, and get it in there. And they, there are very early appearances by, as you said, Debbie Moore. Michael Richards shows up mm-hmm. very briefly. Um and as required by law, because it's a Gary Marshall film, uh, Hector Laz- Elizondo is in this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I've been talking enough. I'll let you talk. Oh, well, uh, you know. I... <laughs> Holy shit. Richard Dean Anderson is in this. I need to watch oh, this. I, I didn't see that. Um, I know. He's the drug dealer. Holy Mc- crap. McGinley is in it. Uh, but yes. he, he, they do nothing with him, really. Um, I, I thought Harry Dean Stanton, this is a interesting, like, he's wacky goofy yeah very uh, like, against almost, type for him yeah very against type and he's having fun here uh dabney coleman is he's got a beard um I, I i will say like this movie i thought it was a pretty fun it's it's a kind of pretty fun goofy movie delivers like a solid level that you you see once you chuckle a bunch and then you move on with life and then it's something you're like oh i think i remember that movie it's like a i went to the movies to laugh for a weekend and i got this and i did it okay. Like that's pretty much what it is. Um, I was fascinated with it though, watching that. Like I didn't know this movie and that this was a thing that existed. I was like, I was just, it was interesting. It was not what I thought. Like I, I, you know, when I didn't realize the airplane that they were trying for probably an airplane till you said something just now. And now that makes a lot of sense. Uh, It's set up in sketch scenarios, but not, which is weird. Yeah. Like, that's kind of, yeah, hard to put this kind of, but it's an easy watch for as oh, much yeah. as it's not a good movie. And a lot of it might be looking back and seeing people now that you know now back then. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I think, I thought it was funny enough um, and laughed a good deal, fascinated a bit, but I don't think I'm ever going to return to it. Uh, but yeah, I, I also want to point out it's written by the two guys who created head of the class. So very, very happy about that. Uh, one of which wrote for Mary Tyler Moore, Dick Van Dyke, Bill Cosby. Um, and <laughs> the other wrote, uh, North Dallas 40 and the Dean Martin show. So, um, not quite your Zuckers, but head of the class is pretty cool. Um, yeah, it, it, there was a urine gag that was pretty funny that didn't. I I felt like needed a better payoff. Like it was working, working, yeah. working, and then it was like there was no payoff. It's uh, so like Harry Dean Stanton has this urine sample because we can't just tease that and then not let people listening know. He has this urine sample, and he says he's gonna. He dips his finger in it, and then he tastes his finger, and he talks about what is in it. Or what what's in the the urine to uh, analyze or diagnose something, and 
And then he passes to Michael McKean. Michael McKean dips his fingers in the urine and he's like, ha, you need to pay attention. I dip my other, I put my fingers in the urine and put the other in my mouth. And he's like, well, Michael McKean goes, well, if you would have tasted the urine, you would have noticed blah, 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 blah. And he goes, wait a minute, what? And he takes the urine and he drinks it. And he's like, what? It just tastes like bitter urine. He's like, ha, I tricked you. You didn't notice that I switched my hands. And then it just doesn't <laughs> pay off from there very well. Like I, no, the, 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 there should have been something, the- there should, should have been something later where someone accidentally drank urine and then noticed a problem with a person or something. There should have been some better payoff to that. Whole- You're right. Cause it's, it's, it's a gross out gag that sort of changes to a character beat instead mm-hmm. where he jumps in to prevent Sean Young from drinking at the last minute. Right. And that sort of is kind of the start of their relationship. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating picture for a number of reasons and it's, it's compulsively watchable yeah. both as a time capsule and just as a, you know, movies, you know, an old movie. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I do think once the medical melodrama gets ridiculous toward the end of the last 20 minutes, it kind of combusts, but for, you know, an hour, hour, seven, hour, 15, through hour 10 is pretty good. Yeah. 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 It's not, it's not bad. It's, Definitely a, a fast, like if you haven't heard of it and you're listening to this episode this week, I would say this one doesn't hurt to check out. Uh, you can, if that full movie is on YouTube, like yes, legit. With le- captions. With captions, like legit, like here's a free movie on YouTube. It's got ads. It's, yeah. So I, I believe it's a legit listing. I hope so. That's where I watched it. That's where I watched it too. Um, <laughs> Let's let's uh, move into the box office. See how these movies fared this week. So Scott, over to you with the eighty-two mm, box office. July sixteenth. Yes. Yes. July sixteenth. The number one movie of the week for the sixth weekend in a row was ET, the extraterrestrial. Stop going went- to ET, folks. See other movies. They are seeing other movies. And they are. The That's 80s. the funny. Yep. This is the eighties. Um, it dropped one. It went up one point six percent, adding one hundred and seven screens, earning thirteen million dollars in fifteen hundred and five screens for a one hundred twenty nine point four million dollar domestic gross. Obviously, it would eventually make. I think what was the original? I know three fifty nine was after the eighty five re release, so I think it was like three. Summary, 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 summary. Excuse me. Why is this not coming up? Oh no, it was yeah, it was uh, three fifty nine counting counting the nineteen eighty five reissue, and then it would make another seventy million in two thousand two, which would push over the four hundred million mark. Anyway, the second big, the number two for the weekend was the re release of Raider of the Lost Ark which we talked about on last week's show. Mm-hmm. Spoiler, pretty good movie. Um, it would earn $4.347 million in 1,330 screens. Um, so that would mean that Steven Spielberg would have the top two movies of the weekend. Huh. Um, and hell, Poltergeist is seventh this weekend, so he had three of the top ten. Um, you know, take that, Tom Holland. Right, yeah. Um Let's see. It would uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark would make another twenty-one million dollars in that reissue, which would bring its global or its domestic total from do, 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 about two hundred twenty-three million dollars. And then it would be re-released again in nineteen eighty-three, where it would make another eleven million. And then it would be released to IMAX in late two thousand twelve, where it would make th- another three point three million dollars. 
So Indiana Jones, or Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in 81, 82, and 83. And then yes. Temple in 84. Yeah. Um, that tracks. And then the number three movie is Young Doctors in Love. Haha, did you guess, not- folks? Did you guess that that would be the number one this week? <laughs> or of the new ones? I didn't. I looked up and I was like, oh, all right. Well, to be fair, Woody Allen's movies are usually not blockbusters. Um, nonetheless, $4.2 million on 709 screens. That's actually a pretty solid 5,932 screen a- per screen average. Mm. Um, the film cost, I think, about $7 million. Is that right? Yeah, about $7 million. And it would eventually make 30.6. So that's a solid hit. It's a forgotten hit. Like, yeah. that's honestly, like, I was surprised. Well, not surprised that, like, didn't it went in the top 10, but where it went in the top 10 is where I yeah. was like, oh, snap. You know, again, it's another case of, you know, a movie like, uh, you know, Conan the Barbarian, which made, you know, which spawned a franchise and blah, blah, blah. Everybody talked about it. It made 39 million. So the movie only made a little bit more, more than Young Doctors in Love. You know, going back to an off, you know, something I complain about a lot, which is that. Hollywood and pop culture pays attention to certain hits more than other hits, even if the numbers don't necessarily justify it. Yeah. Like, so we, we could have got another comedy from this team or another Michael McKean, Sean Young uh, romantic comedy or something. Yeah. You know, the example I always give is that, you know, in the summer of 2008, Iron Man makes $585 million and changes the face of Hollywood as we know it. Mamma Mia makes $609 million and nothing. Yeah. I mean, Mamma Mia made only $5 million less overseas that summer than The Dark Knight. Yeah. And give or take $5 million less than Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. But nothing. Nothing. Well, we got Mamma Mia 2. From a male director, by the way. Yeah. Fun fact. Uh, but anyway, uh, number four was Tron, which dropped a reasonable 23% in weekend two for a $3.6 million gross, an $11 million 10-day total. Rocky 3 will not die. No. Earning another $3.6 million, 19, 19%. It's nice to see Eye of the Tiger and it in the charts right now at the yeah. same time because I the tiger didn't it just started climbing um, yeah where we're talking um, and if I recall that song was actually written for Rocky three yeah Am I yeah correct? it was Rocky three yep yes yep no I thought I, I was it written specifically for Rocky three or was it mm-hmm. something else okay no, for some Rocky reason three. I thought it was a standalone song was appropriate but never mind nope. um anyway. Uh, you can cut that part out because I sound stupid. I'm kidding. Or not. Uh, 86 million after eight weekends. Firefox, Clint Eastwood's, uh, you know, super jet fighter movie. He's doing uh, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. 2.67 million after five weekends. 35.4 million. Uh, Poltergeist, still sticking around. Seven yeah. weekends in, has made 2.6 million. Dropping just eighteen percent, with four forty-seven point four million dollars. See again, not to not to be a broken record, but back then movies stuck around. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you had twenty percent, twenty-five percent, thirty percent drops on the regular for weeks and weeks and weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Midsummer Night Sex Comedy opened in five hundred and one theaters for a two point five million dollar opening weekend, which. Off the top of my head, was probably pretty good for a Woody Allen movie. Probably, um, it would eventually make nine million dollars domestic, and probably uh, cost like three bucks. Yeah, so, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, 
Um, Star Trek or Annie would make uh, 2.2 million in weekend nine. I think it was in limited release for its first two weekends, if I recall, mm-hmm. uh, for a $35 million total. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, would make $2 million at seventh weekend, a uh, 26% drop. But still, I mean, comparatively speaking, it was falling a little bit faster than the other stuff because well, even then, it was somewhat of a fan-driven property. It is, but it's also got more sort of direct competition for its viewership like et and tron will keep the repeaters from going to star trek 2 you are correct and again it's it's a hit by any stretch of the imagination it costs like what 15 million to make it's going to be 79 domestic Mm -hmm. you know it did save the franchise without any way in every way shape or form Mm -hmm. um and then in 11th place uh six pack a film that made $1.95 million in 504 screens and would top out with $20 million. Oh, shit. Wow. Never mind. It was a hit. Oh, wow. I stand corrected. Damn. Good on you, Kenny Rogers. Yeah, Kenny. Hollywood didn't learn. They didn't make another <laughs> Kenny Rogers movie. They did not. How could you not find a spot for him in, you know, Smokey the Man at 12? Yeah. <laughs> um, the Cannonball Run 4. <laughs> Blade Runner was in 12th mm-hmm. Secret of Nymph in 13th place After Weekend 3 uh, It was pretty much DOA Yep. Uh, Sword and the Sorcerer Cannot be killed No. By the way, I finally watched that movie this yeah. week It's pretty interesting We may talk about it later on We might at the end, I need to watch Porky's between now and August yeah. you, um, you might you might want to you might want to donate to the the possible Patreon we're setting up for this, <laughs> and you might get it. So we'll see. Oh, interesting. You might. So. Uh, and finally, in fifteenth place, John Carpenter's The Thing, which opened poorly and did not hold on, dropping forty four percent in its fourth weekend for a one million dollar total and a thirteen point eight million dollar cube. It actually it had sat there consistently. This is the first weekend that thing dropped. Um, yeah, but. It when just didn't have big a, enough. It didn't open big enough. Yeah, that was the that was the problem. The there. legs are great when you actually open. Yeah, great legs with a bad opening is just usually adding insult to injury. <laughs> Very true. Unless yeah. you're the greatest showman, but dear God, that's you know that's a one that's a once in a generation phenomenon. Yeah. So yeah, this is a little bit of shaking up top ten compared to what we've seen. The night Star Trek dropping and. Uh, young doctors in love opening pretty high, like which you wouldn't like. You wouldn't expect like that's the surprise for me. It's like oh, people wanted to see young doctors in love. Something happened yeah. there that people went out to see it. I mean, granted, ET's there, but I mean, how many times? Do, uh, you know, here's the thing too. How many times are parents getting to see the movies they want to see and just dumping the kids at ET? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's it's it's. And I talk about this a lot, but, you know, the comparison of, you know, how things used to be, mm-hmm. you know, in the proverbial olden days and, you know, March or April of 1990, mm-hmm. you know, stereotypically speaking, the men would see the hunt for Royal October. The women would see pretty women and the kids would see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And all three of those were huge hits. Mm-hmm. And today, everybody goes to Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's basically uh, the weekend movies. All right. Uh, yeah, so that'll do it for this weekend. That was July 16th through 18th. Scott, as always, thank you for joining in, providing your expertise, talking these movies of 82 that we do. But before we sign out, let people know where they can keep up with you. 
uh, Forbes.com, the ticket booth. I'm still there. Google some variation of that. I'm on Twitter, unless Elon Musk buys it and destroys it by the time this podcast airs, um, at, at scottmendelson.com. They're just at Scott Mendelson. Yeah. And that's about it. All right. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Braden4KUHD. Tune in next week as the whores take down E.T. Garp tells <laughs> us about the world. Scott Bayo zaps us up. But are you up to the challenge? Till then, stay film positive. Last summer of 82 at 40. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. The Summer of 82 at 40 and News of the Moment themes by Press Maxson. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. Mm-hmm.